Hey, um, yeah, a real, real pleasure and privilege to be up here today. Uh, and we are just carrying on, as being mentioned, in our series on the Bible. One of just, just such an important topic. And last week, uh, some of you would have been here. Uh, hopefully most of you caught up with it. Daryl kicked off the series on the Bible in that it was inspired. In other words, authored by God. And as just being mentioned, today we're looking at the Bible is the truth. And, you know, in society today, that's, that's actually a, almost a controversial statement. I mean, society is sort of just all over the place. And here at Crossroads, we're saying, hey, this book you can rely on. This book is the truth. I was actually uh, showing a social media post. I'm not really into social media. I, I don't have Instagram or anything, but my wife showed me a post the other day uh, from a conservative commentator in the United States. And uh, he's sort of, uh, you, you may not have heard of him, but he, he's pretty big over there anyway, or so I believe he. But anyway, his name is a guy called Ben Shapiro, and Ben posted this online. And he said this, if you're saying something true, you shouldn't be worried about who it offends. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about social media. As I said, I'm not into it. But what's interesting about it is that you can comment on this. And there is a lot of comments on this post. And this has really fired up quite a few people, actually. They're fired up because basically now nobody can agree on what the truth is. And uh, if social media, a lot of people did agree with that comment, by the way. But if social media is good for one thing, this has got to be it. It can drag up comedians from nowhere. Because I read a comment, and I, I just couldn't... I've got to read it to you, because I just laughed out loud. It's by a guy called Don Self and Associates. There's a, a mockery in that name alone. So this is what Don Self says to this comment, that if you're saying something true, don't worry about offending anybody. Don says this. Yes. And no. If your wife asks you, if she looks like she's added a few pounds, the truth may not be your best bet, especially if she is holding a gun or fills your pill container. And I just sort of thought, you yeah, know, that, that's actually pretty good, Don. That, that, that sort of does it for me. But the, the truth, it's sort of up for grabs. I don't know if you uh, I had on, um, on Newsfeed come up a survey, a survey done in, it was released in Christianity Today. It was done by a couple of big Christian organisations in the States, and they did a survey, I think it was only five questions long, basically on the Bible and what people think about it and stuff. And this was one of the questions, and it wasn't so much that the question was, was shocking, it was how people responded. So I'll read you the question. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Now, as I said, this was uh, organised by a couple of Christian organisations who have quite a big pool in the States, and a lot of respondents and a lot of people who associated themselves as evangelical Christian, a lot. So from the proportion of evangelical Christians, and there were people who didn't believe in God and stuff who also responded, one in four people who consider themselves evangelical Christian, sort of like this group here, 
don't actually consider the Bible literally true. They agree with the statement. And the thing is, the reason why this seems to become quite a problem is if you sort of tease it out, so in the States, one in four people that sort of probably go to church on a semi-regular basis, I don't know, maybe twice, three times a month, whatever, they don't actually believe the place they're going to and the book it's based upon. And the problem with this is that if you don't actually believe what the thing's based on, things start to tumble apart pretty quick. Because this book, this book here, says some really interesting things about itself. It says this, your word, or thy word is perhaps the, the more traditional way of saying it, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is from the Psalms. In other words, this book saying, hey, if you follow the teachings of this book, the direction of your life will be lit up and you'll know which path to take, what decisions to do. But yet, from that survey, one in four people going along the church will consider themselves Christian, don't actually even equate this with the truth. And what happens, as I've said, it starts to tumble apart pretty quickly. Because while, while that one in four number just absolutely you know, saddened me, the next survey question, I just about went into cardiac arrest when I saw the results, is this. God will accept the worship of all religions, all religions, including Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. The thing is, if, if you don't start to accept this book, one in two people who consider themselves Christian agree with that statement. In other words, all roads will lead to God. And, and the problem with that is that this book says, no, no, that's not right. Jesus himself says this, I'm the way to God. Look at what he says right in the middle. I am the truth and the life and nobody gets to the Father except through me. This, this book is incredibly important. This book is foundational, and we need it. And the truth seems to be up for grabs in our society. And so here at Crossroads, what we're saying is if truth's up for grabs, will you grab this? Will you grab it with everything you've got? Because the thing is, God's word is truth. Because God is truth. Does seem to be a struggle though in our society. Does seem to be a struggle equating this book with truth. If you go to a university and say the Bible's truth, well, in today's culture, you'll be cancelled. And even people in the church seem to have a bit of trouble equating this book with truth. In fact, some people, the truth can be right in front of them, literally standing in front of them, and they can't see it. Truth was on trial couple of thousand years ago. Truth was on trial. Jesus had just been through five trials, and he was in his final trial before a guy could Pilate. And I want to read to you some of the closing arguments of the trial. It is 
stunning and a fascinating insight. And the verdict reverberates through history. Just let me read to you now, just from the Gospel of John. Pilate talking to Jesus. So you're a king then? Jesus replied, You say that I'm a king and you are right. I was born for that purpose. And I came to bring truth to the world. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Pilate responded, what is truth? What is truth? Pilate's response reverberates down through history. I'd love to have known if this was just a cynical, snappy retort, or maybe he was melancholic at the time. I'm not sure. But it thunders through history, this question. Because, man, society is struggling with it. Let's have a look at what truth is, eh? Let's really have a look at it. Perhaps uh, an easier way to do it is let's see what truth actually isn't. Truth isn't this. I mean, we sort of do understand when we're telling the truth or when we're lying. I mean, we sort of get that. We sort of would love to say that we don't lie, but if you say that, then you're a liar because we've all lied. We sort of understand it on that level, but let's look at it on another level. This is what truth isn't. Truth isn't just whatever works, like the means justify the ends. Sort of, what would be an example of that? You know that, oh, you probably heard about that doctor uh, in the news the other week, clinical doctor up in Auckland, faked his CV, faked the references, got a job, might have been doing a good job, and it worked, he got the job, it was based on falsehood. So just because something works doesn't mean it's true. Just because something is understandable or that you can comprehend it, that doesn't mean it's true either. What's an example? The other day you probably saw on the news um, that, that terrible sort of ram raid or invasion into the mall in Hamilton. You know, guys going in with hammers, smashing the glass cases, taking the rings and the jewellery, all that sort of stuff. Now imagine if they got home and they said, let's just stick to this story. The story will be this. We're all here together, watching telly, eating Doritos. Now that's an understandable alibi. It's comprehensible. All the ducks are in a row. It's a lie. So the truth sometimes just isn't what's understandable. The truth is also not what makes you feel good. Bad news can be true. Quite often it is. The truth is not also what the majority think. 51% of people could certainly vote in a lie. And just because you believe something doesn't mean it's truth. A lie believed is still a lie. So what is it? Let me try and open up perhaps the, the languages the Bible were written in, how they see the word truth, because this will open up the English understanding for you so much more. Part of the Bible is written in Greek. The Greek word for truth is aletheia. Aletheia has this meaning of unhidden, 
or to not hide. It sort of conveys this message that the truth is out in the open. It's, it's not obscured at all. That sort of makes sense. You know, sometimes if you think about it, like if someone says, did you eat that cookie? You could go, not that cookie, because that cookie's there, but I ate all the rest of them. I mean, you're sort of telling the truth, but not all the truth, right? So the Hebrew word for truth is emeth. And emeth means this. It's constant. It's dependable. It's sort of rock solid. Emeth's got this idea that truth is an eternal, reliable source that you can bank on. What's an eternal, reliable source that you can bank on? Here at Crossroads, we say, you can put the house on this. The thing is, God's word is truth because God is truth. And he's a God who is beyond, beyond anything. He's incredible. He makes everything tick. I used to live in the country. I'm, I'm actually a city boy because there's some problems with the country, like possums, septic tanks always blocking. You know, I know some of you live there and you love it. But there is one advantage of the country that the city will never have, ever. It's when it's nighttime and it's pitch black. And you can go out and you can look at the stars and just in their wonder. And it's just jaw-dropping stuff, right? It really is. I mean, you've all done it, you've all seen it, and you just know how special those moments are, those pitch black nights when you just see it all in its glory. Let me read to you some of the scriptures of our incredible God and what he's done. The heavens declare the glory of God. I've sort of abridged this a bit. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day reveals speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. I just, I love nighttime, I love that space. I love being in, when I was in the country, looking at it. It's just stunning. And I'm sort of a bit of a space nerd. I do love space films. I do love space facts and stuff. And just recently, you may not know this, NASA, actually Christmas Day last year, released a new telescope up into space. It's called the James Webb Telescope. And astronomers and stuff behind were just sort of saying, yeah, we're going to see all these different things. And <laughs> they got it completely wrong because when the telescope started sending back images we saw stuff like this. This here, the big, the big circle you see, it's called a cartwheel galaxy. This is a, a galaxy which is in perfect synchronicity. It's stunning and it's massive and we never knew it. And I just sort of, this shows God's handiwork, his craftsmanship, his creativity. And it just works on this giant mathematical, astrological laws which just blow my noodle. I mean, it fry it, really, it does. And I, I don't know if you know that at this point in time, as this thing's spinning out there millions of light years away, you're actually moving, as you sit there, 
you're moving at 250 miles per second. This is sort of like why I geek out on this stuff, like you say, no, I'm not moving at all, mate. Well, <laughs> yes, you are, because as you know, the Earth spins. It spins at about a 23.8 degree angle from memory. That's just, if it was any less, we'd be in perpetual winter. If there wasn't an atmosphere, we'd be incinerated. And we're spinning, this Earth spins once a day, it's spinning at 1,000 mile per hour. And as you know, the Earth, it goes around the Sun, right? Once a year, orbits the Sun. That's travelling at 65,000 mile per hour. Here's probably something you don't know. The Sun and the nine planets, nine, eight, that's right, Pluto got kicked out. Okay, so the Sun, our solar system, is orbiting and it's travelling across the heavens and it's going to travel across the Milky Way, supposedly going to take over 200 billion years. Exactly as those verses before said, the sun moves across the heavens. How come? How does this book know this? <laughs> because as DP said last week, this is inspired by God. And it's done by God. And this book reveals a God who knows all about his creation. And this book is, was mentioned last week as well, but it's important that you know that you can trust it because it's the truth. 3,000 years ago, this book, or actually 4,000, the part I'm going to tell you now, 4,000 years ago, before telescopes, before satellites were going past planets taking photos, this book says that the Earth is suspended in space, that the Earth is spherical, and, and you can trust it. It's the truth. Now, I don't want to knock other religious writings, but I will put this out there. The Hindu scriptures describe this Earth as triangular, as flat, and held up by a herd of elephants. And as the elephants move, that's how you get earthquakes. Now, I'm not knocking it or mocking it, but I can tell you now, whoever wrote it wasn't the creator. This book lines up with reality on what you can see. This book is, is not sort of like that hard to really sort of reason with and understand. Is it, this, is it really that much... Is it that much of a stretch of an imagination to really, really say that a God who can make everything so complex, a creation so beautiful, that he can't write his own book? Of course he can. And it's a book that's logical, that's understandable, that's comprehensible, and as I said, it lines up with everything around us. And it, it, it's not that hard to really read and reason with. You don't need to sort of have like some magical decoding machine because it's a fifth dimensional transmission from outer space that requires a PhD to read it. No. God kindly engages with his creation, his creatures, us, that you can read about him. And it shows reality as it is and as it was and as it will be. If we didn't have this book, we wouldn't know that life was once perfect. 
that there was rebellion from God and we've fallen, but that this creator loves us and that he's calling us back to him through his son and one day he's going to return. This is all shown. This book is not full of contradictions. It's not full of irregularities. It's not full of fantasy. It's not full of absurdity. It's not full of myth. It's not full of error. Here at Crossroads, we say this is the infallible, inerrant, no errors, word of God. Because the thing is, God's word is truth because God is truth. Now, I know there's some challenging passages, and I was sort of humming and harring whether I should say this or not, but I, I think I will. I think I should. It is important, though, when you pick this book up, and it was mentioned last week, that you do realise that there is different types of literary sort of ways it's written. There's poetry in this book. There's metaphor in this book. There's imagery in this book. Like, what's a, what's a good example? Well, I think a good example would be probably to go back to space, Galileo. See, when Galileo was looking through his telescope 500 years ago, him and the Catholic Church got in a real ding-dong battle. And the problem was is that the Catholic Church had picked up this book and got one verse, about six or seven words, and butchered it, basically. And Galileo is looking through the telescope thinking, hey, you know, we're not actually at the centre here. We're actually going round the sun, and it's not the other way round. And the Catholic Church says, no, back then. They took a verse, and they said from Psalm 96... It says, the earth shall not be moved. Now the thing is, if you just take that boomf, without a little bit of reading the context, because if you keep on reading it, it says the trees are going to clap their hands and stuff, so, you know. But they take it, and it's taken out of context, and even if they'd just read a few psalms earlier, it says, the king shall not be moved. And obviously the king, David, it's talking about, can move from the battlefield have a feed in the kitchen, go to the throne room, all that sort of stuff. The king can obviously move around. It just means that the king, his kingdom won't collapse, he won't be dethroned. It's like the earth. The earth's not sort of going to split in half like an egg. It's not going to fall out of space. It's just what it means. So just, you know, sometimes, you know, this book is the truth, but there are different imagery and different ways of writing. It says the rocks will cry out. That does not mean that rocks are going to develop little tiny mouths and sort of little teeth and start whistling and squealing at you. It's imagery. So just to, just to bring that back. There is another thing as well, though, is that some people hate that statement on the screen. They hate that, that God's word is truth. And they would do everything to pull it apart. And I want to show you that you can trust this book with everything. Let me show you what is a very common objection to the Bible. And I'll show you why it's not a problem. Here's two passages uh, around the re uh, resurrection of Christ. From Matthew and from Luke. Same account. From Matthew, first of all. See if you can see what some people think is a problem. And behold... There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven 
and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. Luke's account. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now, you may be able to pick up what could possibly be discrepancy between the two passages. But the thing is, a lot of people will say, well, Craig, you've just told us that this universe works on this incredible mathematical clockwork formula by an incredible creator. And yet here we have somebody not being able to count to two. Is there one angel or is there two angels? What is it, Craig? Let me answer it like this. Let me answer it with a story. Imagine if I was talking to you and I said, oh, I went to the movies last night with my wife. No, let's say I went like this. I went to the movies last night. And you go, oh, nice. What movie did you see? And I go, oh, I saw Top Gun. We'll say Top Gun. And then you go, oh, oh I saw Top Gun too. Wasn't it great? And the plane's flying along, goes up over a hill, sort of flips. And I go, yeah, yeah, that was, that was amazing. That was my wife's favourite scene. And then you sort of say, but hold on, you said you saw, went to the movies. And I go, yeah, I did. But now you've just said you and your wife went to the movies. What is it? Well, it's, it's both. I'm just telling you a bit more of the story. And this is all we have here. This is why you can trust it. One author is just painting the picture slightly sharper. That's all it is. It's no irregularity. It's not a contradiction. One guy is just giving you more detail of the same scene. That's it. Guys, you can trust this book. Guys, this book, you can really base your life upon it. You can build your life upon it. You can stake your life upon it. This, this book is a firm foundation. This book is just a solid base for you. What was that word in Hebrew? Emeth. It's something you can rely upon forever. This book. If you look around society today, society seems to be imploding, for use of a better word. I, I don't know if anyone has ever listened to talkback radio. Talkback radio is sort of like the six o'clock news on steroids because you get everybody's opinion and it just seems to be doom and gloom everywhere. And people are just sort of wondering, you know, why is it going so bad so quick? And people are flying in with answers, oh, it's, it's due to uh, kids not being disciplined, or it's due to there's not enough money, or there's, uh, you know, not enough workers, or there's just inequality or inequity, or whatever. Reason for just this chaos in society is because society has said we don't want to be built on this anymore. We think the building platform looks better over here. It's got a better view. But the building platform over there is sand. And it's catastrophic when you build on sand. Everything sinks. This book, this book offers hope. This book offers life. This book offers its readers purpose, which are a gift from God. 
This book, this book, if you're anxious or you're down or you feel left out or forgotten, this book tells of a creator who made you, who loves you, who wants you and considers you precious. This book will transform you. This book has transformed so many. I think DP said about three billion last week. It transforms the humblest person to queens and kings, people who have done terrible crimes. It can transform you because this book resonates right down into the deepest part of our being, our soul. This book is the truth. And the thing is, here at Crossroads we say, guys, pick up this book. Remember this book. Try and remember some of the passages in this book because it will help you. Obey this book. Cherish it. Follow it. Because this book leads to an abundant life. Jesus prayed a prayer over those that would follow him. And this prayer covers us today. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now this is interesting, this word sanctify. And it's sort of like a word that we don't use a lot in the English language. But it sort of means becoming holy. And it's a process, sanctification. Another way to look at it is that you're going to become more like Jesus when you're in this book. Your life will be completely different to how life and society looks if you follow this book. Your life will be a life of love. Your life will be a life of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of gentleness, of goodness, of faithfulness, and self-control. This is a life which is a solid, dependable life which is based on the teachings of Christ. This is the abundant life. The thing is, God's word is truth because God is truth. I want to pray. Father, we just thank you for today and we, we thank you for this word you have given us. Jesus, you're fully the word of God and we thank you. We thank you that you've come and that you give us life and you give us hope and you give us purpose. Father, today I just pray that we will continue to just pick up your book daily, to pick up your word and to delve into it so that we can know you more, so that we can do what you want us to do. Father God, show us what you would want us to do with our lives and the people around us. Today, Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. Amen.